opinion, and we listen to yours. The new face of talk radio, Voice America Women's Radio Network. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. I'm Catherine Zox. Good morning. Your social worker with a microphone on Voice America Women, voiceamerica.com women. And joining me this morning is my co-host, Lauren Beller. It's Catherine Zox with Lauren Beller, president of Big Fish Nation, which is a 12-month entrepreneurial program. And uh, if you're interested, you can take it in the comfort of your own home or office. And Lauren, how are you this morning? Can't hear Lauren, actually. I so I'm assuming that you're doing that you're fine, but Lauren, are you on the air? I am here. Can you hear me? Yeah, now I can hear you. We always have that in the beginning of the show. It's always I'm always saying, Lauren, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah. Well, our guest is ready. To... <laughs> uh, I just before we talk to our guest because we have this. Uh, my guest is uh, a physician and uh, Dr. Luann Brizendine, and you probably have heard of her because she has a new book called The Female Brain, which we're going to be talking about. And as you and I know, and you and I have talked about, uh, we've known for. The diff- there's a female brain and there's a male brain and there's a big difference and uh, it, now it's been substantiated, right? Um, how sophisticated that female brain? Yeah. Oh boy, is there a difference? Anyway, but before we talk to the doctor, I just want to mention your new website, Lauren, because you have a new website. It's beautiful mm-hmm. and it is very feminine in a very positive way. The colors, the feeling, the whole thing—it's a feminine website, and I think there's a difference between websites, male and I female. I would agree. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. So if we want to go to your website, because I'm on it, so let's uh, let's uh, announce it. Where is it, and how do we get to it? It's www.bigfishnation.com. Okay, that's easy. All right. Here today is Dr. Luann Brizendine, author of The Female Brain. Now, her book has been described as breezy and playful. Uh, she talks about and follows the development of women's brains from birth through teen years to courting, pregnancy, childbirth, and child rearing, and menopause and beyond. I'm not sure if I'm at menopause and beyond. I think I'm at the last stage. But anyway, welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, Doctor. And I can't hear my doctor either. Let's see. Do I have you guys? Thank you for having me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, now I can hear you. There's always those few seconds somehow I don't connect. But anyway, how are you? Three of those technical problems to shake out in the morning. Thank you. I'm just fine. San Francisco is a little bit foggy and cold today, which we're grateful for because it's been too too hot. (laughs) Too hot. Yeah, I know. For all of us women with hot flashes, it's been too hot, my dear. Exactly. (laughs) And I've had hot flashes for eight years, so you're the doctor to talk to. But I was, you know, I was sitting there. I have to tell you, I was reading your book during this, uh, well, I read it a little bit before, and then I took it with me on vacation on Labor Day, and I'm sitting there with my partner, a man, and I keep saying, oh, she's so right, and I'm underlying stuff, and I'm, you know, starring everything, and, you know, (laughs) finally, doctor, a book on the female brain, a lot of, everything that you wrote about, I'm saying, I knew that, but I never realized there was any, you know, there was the the scientific basis behind women's brains and women's behavior, so let's, because you talk about in the book, I mean, I guess the premise is that Female brain, different than male brain, although 99% of our brain is is the same, but it's that 1% that makes the difference, and it affects our desires, our values, and how we perceive the world. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad you found it a fun and, and, and laughing read, because yeah. most, <laughs> that's how it was written. I wrote it for my patients, because, of course, my patients are 
uh, at the Women's Mood and Hormone Clinic have been begging me for years to write one. So finally, after 15 years, I will tell you, ladies, I, I finally did it. Anyway. Good. Well, it's a great book, and it is. You know, it's scientific, but it is at the same time. It's humorous, and you have all the antidotes and the examples, you know, which, is, of course, makes it real. So, okay. So let's get down to what the difference is, because I think it's important for your listeners to to, to visualize this. Now, we all start off with with the same brain circuit types at conception, but at eight weeks, the tiny testicles in the male fetus start to pump out huge amounts of testosterone that then go up and marinate his brain, changing the circuits from female-type circuits into male brain circuits. So it happens in utero at eight weeks. It starts we... at eight weeks. starts that early, yes. And then that testosterone does things like it doubles the size for a technical area. Now, you ready for the name of this technical area? It's called the area for sexual pursuit. It gets doubled. It goes to 2.0, 2.5 times as large in the human male than the female. In other mammals, interestingly enough, it's 7.0 times larger in the male rat, for example, than the female. Okay. So this is a biological imperative imperative, right, Doctor? I mean we're yes, hardwired for that. Is. It but is. So yeah. we have to stop blaming these guys for doing what they're wired to do and their whole their their purpose is to pro, pro, procreate just like horses, but they're supposed to pursue us and that is a part most of the brain sections that are very, very different have evolved for millions of years because of a piece of our biological imperative. For women, for females, lots of the circuitry has to do with pregnancy and keeping helpless infants alive that we have that's very, very different than the male. Of course, we all know from experience that men and women can do the same things. We can be astronauts, doctors, lawyers, presidents, etc. But we do it with a different perspective. We do indeed, and some of that different perspective now we are learning finally has to do with the way our brain circuits are wired and the fact that our, our fuel for running our female brain circuits is estrogen, where the male's fuel for running his brain circuits that are male is testosterone. So that means in us females, we are uh, wired to do things like pick up the nuance of nonverbal emotional expressions or nonverbal expressions much better than the male, for example. And the biologists hypothesize that this is because we needed to be able to pick those up quickly in helpless infants to keep them alive. So in other words, we are programmed or hardwired to remember the details of different emotional events, and men aren't. So when you're sitting there with your partner saying, oh, do you remember what, uh, uh, you know, what, what happened at so-and-so's wedding, or do you remember, and they... No, I don't even remember the wedding, let alone <laughs> what happened. Well, what he you knows talking? he's supposed to remember because you're, it's, the look on your face tells him he better. Criminologists have actually known this piece of information, that females remember what's called emotional detail or the details surrounding some kind of an emotional event much better than males do. Yeah. And I have to tell you, I want to just so you know where I'm coming from, I mean, I grew up in a family with two boys, uh, with two brothers. I have three sons, an ex-husband, and now a partner of 20 years. Well, you're so, surrounded. <laughs> I'm surrounded and always have felt the frustrations that you describe in the book because my my interests, how I perceive things, the way I communicate, they were always telling me you talk too much, you know, you're always talking to your girlfriends, you know, you should be you know, more restrained. I mean, I've had that my whole life. Well, see, one of the things about also females that that we have come to learn is that, you know, 
all around the world, the social glue of communities is provided by females, by women. If you can think about, you know, church communities, other kinds of communities, your villages around the world, the social glue is women talking to each other. And even I've come to appreciate the positive aspects of that word called gossip because gossip actually is how we communicate from woman to woman usually about important information about other people. And it actually serves as social glue of our community. But why does it always have a negative spin? They, you know, I mean, you, you, the, when you talk about the differences between men and women, you're talking about it in the book in a very positive way. Just like you're saying now, I mean, we need to talk to each other. We need to gossip. It's a good thing. But up until even up until your book, it's always been, you know, those things are, you know, we're trying to be more like a man because that's what we should aspire to as women. It's more. I think so. I think that there's there's obviously there's a double-edged sword to gossip, and I think that what what I have discovered is that it's that positive aspect of the social glue and how we build community. The, the negative side is. <clears throat> Females have aggression, too, and one of the ways females act aggressively to other females is to do what's called rumor-mongering. <laughs> Isn't that a good word? Rumor-mongering. That rumor-mongering. That's the aspect of gossip, that when it gets into rumor-mongering, where you decide you're going to plant just a little bit of something against somebody else that you tell someone, you know, that, that kind of thing is the way females often express aggression towards others in the community. And that's to- it's a totally normal, natural thing. It's how we humans live together. So there's both aspects to that word gossip, but I have come to appreciate that really positive aspect, that it's the social glue that keeps us women knowing what's going on and keeping communities together. Okay, Doctor, are that your, that's a great example of keeping communities together, but how does that translate, that kind of behavior, our behavior, into, well, I guess you've described it in terms of parenting, but what about jobs and being in the corporate community or, uh, you know, how schools and, and what does that say for having a woman president like Hillary Clinton, for instance, uh, you know, the first woman president who will be, you know, with a female brain. It's going to be very different than having a leader with a male brain. Well, I think that females are much sort of more naturalistically wired to do this kind of thing, which is gossip and to keep communities together and to do what we call, um, shall we say, negotiated settlements. Because we, like in your family, you probably remember, your mother always is the one that was keeping the kids, you know, moving along and not tearing each other apart and keeping the keeping the family together, keeping the community together. And, you know, females don't just go up and slug someone like males can and sometimes do. We'd like to civilize our males in this culture, too. Be that as it may, back to the best female brain issue, I think bottom line for the country at the moment, for our country, uh, keeping our country moving forward the best way possible, I think we need whatever the smartest, best brain we can get to be president, whether it's male or female, black or white, You know, I think that we need to get the best, the best set of brains that we've got in this country and the smartest the smartest brain that we have out of that whole group of them that's running is clearly Hillary yeah. in terms of smarts. And it, it just struck me as as I was you know going as I was reading your book though that that that, that would be a very different kind of presidency or leadership to have a woman as head of the country as opposed to a man, just given all of the the differences that you describe in the book. But. Um, also, I want you know some of the examples. Let's you know backtracking a little bit about raising boys as opposed to raising girls. Very different experience, 
and I certainly found that with three boys. Um, yes, it, my son just turned 18, so around this household we're struggling with the... Well, I but a teen boy who doesn't talk at all. Doesn't talk at all, and you get on the phone, and all your girlfriends... Well, page 38 and 39. Yeah. I point people to 38 and 39 in the book because that's the section called Boys Will Be Boys. Well, and actually, my son helped me write that because I was observing him at the age of about 14, 15, 16 while I was doing that. Yeah, well, I have three of them who do that, so I'm always begging somebody to talk to me on the phone. No one can talk. You know, well, it sounds me... familiar to you, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but one of the examples you gave in the book, getting back to like little boys, I thought, you know, the, the little the I think it was the mother who wanted to give her 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 uh, daughter different kinds of toys, not just dolls and Barbie dolls, but gave her a truck. That was mm-hmm. and gives her this truck, and suddenly she sees her sitting in the corner or sitting in her room cuddling the truck with a blanket around her, uh, around the truck, going, that's okay, little trucky, that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. Yeah, so, I I mean, that's a perfect example of, you know, and I, I, with my three boys, I had, it was only got a minute before break, but I got them a doll, and I thought, well, you know, let them play with dolls, and, you know, we'll give them that kind of an experience, and I found that what they did is they, they hacked off the doll's head. Now, <laughs> yes, or my my son seized the Barbie doll's torso and used her long legs as a spear. You yeah. know, they were instantly <laughs> weapons. Exactly. And and I have to say that my boys, one's a, one's a filmmaker, one is a writer. It's not that they're these big macho guys. I mean, they're they're you know they have their, uh, their but. Uh, there they were with this doll. It was impossible. Yeah, she was. A, I had a headless doll. Exactly. So I don't know if you can do anything about it. We are hardwired. You know, we do have those the, the female brain and the male brain. We're going to take a short break right now. We have a few seconds to go. We're talking to Dr. Luann Brizendine, author of The Female Brain. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to Voice America, voiceamerica.com, women. Talk with you, not at you. We're Voice America, Women's Radio Network, the new face of talk radio. I have three children, and I've been raising my 16-year-old sister. Mary Gallagher and her family shared a two-bedroom apartment with eight people. Now Habitat for Humanity is helping her build a simple, decent, affordable home of her own. When we first found out that we were getting a Habitat home, it was like a dream. I kept saying, don't anybody wake me up. Not only is Mary helping build her own home, she'll buy it with a no-profit, zero-interest mortgage to keep it affordable. Habitat came out and built my home, and when Mary started building her house, I wanted to come out and give a hand. We're not just building Mary's house, we're building a neighborhood. There's several more to be built this year, and I look forward to working on each of their houses and seeing the joy of their face when they open the door to their brighter future. Habitat for Humanity. Building homes, changing lives. Support the work in your community. Visit Habitat.org. I feel very blessed. God has answered all of my prayers. We are home. Are you willing to be taught and invest a few minutes each week to learn principles that will ensure your success and fulfillment? Tune in every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time to It's Easier Done Than Said on the Voice America Women's Channel. 
Radio that talks with you, not at you. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. Welcome back. We're talking about the female brain, and the author of The Female Brain is Dr. Luann Brizendine. She is a neuropsychiatrist. She's at UC, Cal- uh, UC California in San Francisco and founder of the Women's and Teens Girls Mood and Hormone Clinic. And the book I guess you wrote is to empower women to get it, it, one of the purposes of the book besides giving us all this information, but it is a very empowering book, Doctor. So I do want to thank you. Uh, thank you for being such a big fan of it. Yeah. <laughs> it took three years to write and reviewed 1,008 studies <laughs> to put yeah. it together. But, yeah, so you have all the background. One of the things... and. Uh, I, I don't think we covered this in the first part of the uh, of the show, though. The female brain is affected. It's different structurally, chemically, hormonally, functionally, in all those different kinds of ways. So maybe we could sort of discuss some of those, you know, the, the, that 1% of the female brain that is different that affects our behavior and our reality and the way we perceive things. Indeed, and evolutionary biologists have felt for many, many years, millions of years actually, that males and females have evolved in slightly different niches and that that has, is what's given us that part of our brain that is slightly different and has allowed us to do things like pick up on the details of emotional nuance better. Or, um, you know, little girls, back to the little girls playing in a preschool, little girls will sit there and say, okay, now you, you be the daddy and I'll be the mommy, or you be the doctor, I'll be the patient. At the same time as the little boys are running around with their superheroes in their hand or pretending they are superheroes fighting off the enemy. And uh, girls will sit and play with the boys or boys for a few minutes, and then they're up and running off to get the enemy. It's, it's something that's not taught to those children. No, nobody's necessarily teaching their kids at home to do that. At least I didn't. I'm sure you didn't either. It is something that is a... Uh, relational part of how boys and girls operate and then how men and women end up operating. And, of course, the teen girl brain then starts to really pump out all of her own special hormones, estrogen and progesterone, that give her uh, fuel for those female circuits. So, Doctor, how do we make it so that we complement one another rather than we're always kind of, it seems to me very often men and women are up against each other because we're different. I mean, there has to, what's the complementary part to that in terms of our relationships with each other? Well, you just got to the deep reason why I wrote this book is because I do a lot of couples therapy, too, in my office, of course. I'm sure that probably when you were practicing, you did the same thing. And I think that um, an understanding of what makes us tick is deeply important because it allows us to have a little forgiveness for the other sex and to think, wow, you know, they may not be seeing this the same way I am. I think sex is a great example. When couples aren't getting along in that arena, lots of them come to my office. Usually, for example, that hormones that trigger females' sex drive is also a testosterone in the female, and she may not have enough of it at different phases of her life. Um, And... Uh, you're sitting there and you ask the male, how do you know she loves you? And he says, oh, because she wants to have sex with me. You turn to her and say, how do you know he loves you? And she says, oh, because he wants to talk with me about my emotions. There's the difference. 
There you got it. Yeah, so, there's a difference. And, and they're both sort of dumbfoundedly looking at each other. Yeah. So and they walk around feeling rejected because he, she doesn't want to have sex as much as he does, or he doesn't want to talk to her as much as she wants him to talk yeah. to her. And that's not a that's not a that's not um, a prescription for doing everything the other person wants to do or to you know doing it all their way. But it's an oh, it's a prescription for kind of saying, wow. I didn't know. I mean, most of the women might. I didn't know that sex had that type of meaning to him. I thought it was just kind of a physical, sexual need he has, rather than, wow. Um, I didn't realize that it has that kind of deep emotional meaning to him. It often gives us a different feeling for our male partner, and likewise, he doesn't usually know that talking to you about how you feel about something or something that's worrying you or bothering you, that that to you is how you feel he loves you. What can we do in terms of, you know, getting back to, I mean, that's how can we help to prevent these couples, uh, you know, I don't want you to lose your job, but from getting to the point where they have to, you know, as adults, not understanding the differences between the male and female brain and how we operate. How do you work with it with little children? How do you get little boys to understand or little girls to understand the differences? Or is that impossible? Now, my dear, listen, <laughs> getting three or four, getting little boys and little girls to <laughs> Forget yeah, about it. Yeah, we can, we can push, push the delete button. You're thinking that, like the dentist, right, if we could develop some kind of fluoride, we could get rid of Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I have tried something, yeah. and I'll tell you what I've been doing later. Uh, and I've been doing for the past number of years in the high schools around San Francisco. I go and I give a little course to some of them on um, the differences between the male and female brain. And I write about this in the book. You may have seen that. I, I tell a couple of these stories, actually, in the teen girl brain chapter in the book. But um, it's very interesting. I will, I will give them some little examples of things, and they, of course, listen attentively, and then I allow them to huddle in the opposite sides of the class and cook up three questions they always wanted to ask the opposite sex. <laughs> they come back with their little cards written, and, and the, the typical first question I, that boys will stand and ask to the girls is, we guys want to know why you girls always have to go to the bathroom together. <laughs> And the girls are looking dumbfounded, and they they because one guy will pipe up and they'll say, "Yeah, you get to wipe each other or something." <laughs> Boys go below the waist very quickly, you know. They they, they get that scatological <laughs> interest, but the girls will look at them with their jaws. They'll say, "Well, we have to have someplace private to go talk," and um, you know that kind of it's a little educational tools we can use, I think, in our high schools in some of the classes that we do. All right, so there are exercises you can do. What is the response when the girls finally say, yeah, we want to go and we want to be able to, you know, what's their response to that? Well, I think think the fact, you know how teenagers are. You never know what's getting traction with them. You know, you just, they, you're teaching them something that's biology, a little bit of what's different about the brain. They hear it, whatever. They take it in, but they're, they're going. They're going below the waist very quickly. You know, everything has to be sexual. For Every, them well, today. teenage boys, everything. You know, an erection every five minutes. Isn't oh, it? I know, I know. The poor guys. That's why they wear those baggy, baggy. Yeah. They love those big baggy clothes. You know, my son has the ones that are hanging down the halfway down <laughs> right. his butt. But they, um, you know, so I think that a little bit of that information along the way helps a great deal. Because um, you know, I did, I did this show with uh, tw- with 2020 piece last year, and uh, they came and they filmed in a bunch of the high schools, and they filmed some preschools, and we did a um, three part segment on the male and female brain last year, and um, the high schools where we did some of the filming 
were um, uh, preparing for it and writing little essays and that kind of stuff on it. So those kids have uh, persisted, according to their teachers, getting back to me. They see a lot of the world slightly differently now, or they, they, they start to interpret it slightly differently. And in terms of just understanding that the other sex may think and see things a bit differently, and I think it builds tolerance. I think it does, and I think what's important is you just brought up a really important point. This should be part of our sex education. You know, you know, we talk about sex education in the schools, and we're giving more funding and more monies to it. For you know, we just focus on contraception and kind of the basic physical stuff. I think, mm-hmm. at least that's my experience. But this kind of sex education in the schools and the high schools would be a, a, a you know, to me, would be a real positive piece of, of the puzzle. That's a good idea because, you know, a lot of the schools, when I give them the, the package to, to do this at their high school, they can't quite figure out whether to put it in the biology class. And the sex ed class is something that mostly teaches them and necessarily teaches them, you know, about condoms and, and sexually transmitted diseases and that kind of stuff, which has always been, you know, for, for 50 years in this country, but they don't, this doesn't quite fit. And then they teach it, some of them teach it in their uh, social skills classes. So finding the place to put it and integrate it, I think, is, is very interesting to watch how the schools try to struggle to get it into the curriculum. Yeah. Well, so in California, have they, uh, you know, I mean, I'm sure you're an integral, integral part of that, but have they done this in the California school system, like put the kinds of, of uh, programs that you have into any of the high schools? No, not other than San Francisco. And interestingly enough, I gave one of the keynote addresses last year to the National Association of Principals of Girls' Schools. <laughs> and um, that's that's uh, lots of the principals of all schools. Now they're co-ed schools. It's an old-fashioned name, but it's um, a very, very big organization where a lot of the headmasters and principals come. And um, they are working to implement different parts of, parts of this book, The Female Brain, into their coursework. And, of course, you know, I'm writing The Male Brain, now, so hopefully they will have two two books to use for this fun to read for their. Yeah, well now as the male brain is the mother of a son. You have <laughs> your whole your you know you that's 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 almost easier, isn't it? I mean, you having raised a son, you know the differences. I always remember um, when I would have and 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 I I really hate to admit this, but I'm thinking <laughs> about this. I uh, I you know after a while I would have friends who had daughters and uh, when they were little kids and bring them to the house to play with the boys and they were always so afraid that the boys were going to hurt their little girls or that the girls were going to get hurt yep. and and these are mothers you know I'm in the 60s generation but still it got to the point where I really didn't want to have the mothers with the little girls over because it made me too nervous I'd rather just have the mothers with the boys because you know they went you put them in the room and they hang from the rafters and close yeah. the door and, and that's just, it and just whatever if they, they pummel each other a little bit big yeah. girl they'll get over it it's not going to be like your relationship with the mom is broken because the little boy plumbed plumbed his girl, right? Yeah. Fascinating that 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 kind of difference in in yeah moms of girls and moms of boys. But now the same different. mothers, I sort of have my revenge here. I'm getting all my stuff out, doctor. Uh, because now they want <laughs> my son to date their daughters and marry them, and it's like, hey, you know. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's very it's very interesting the differences and how they play out, and that this issue of little girls getting hurt or being afraid they're going to be hurt, and little boys just you know. No one taught them to do that. The way the boy's nervous system and their muscle system is energized um, and wired is indeed different. And I think we just have to, you know, that's, that's the way it is. And having girls and boys play together, you know, for for 20 to 30 years, it's been known that boys and girls about age three to three and a half start to not like to play with the other sex. They get in what's called same-sex play groups, and they 
that's who sleeps over most of the time. There are some, you know, boys and girls who spend some time with each other in, in grade school, but by and large, by the time the kids are second, third, fourth grade, they are in their same six playgroup, and the girls don't particularly like to play more than a few minutes with the boys, and vice versa. Their interests, their interests are different. Are completely different. We have to say goodbye, unfortunately. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. And, you know, they can go to a website called www.thefemalebrain.com. Yes, and we've only covered a small portion of the book, (laughs) so I do recommend this book to my listeners, The Female Brain, Dr. Luann Brizendine, MD. You heard the website. Uh, If you forget it, just call into the show. We'll give it to you again. But uh, great book, and uh, now I'm waiting for The Male Brain to come out uh, soon. Um, probably in about a year and a half. You have to wait for that one for a while. <laughs> well, if you need any input into the book, trust me, I have a lot of input. Believe me, a lot of personal experience. I'm going to call you and interview you soon. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It's All been right, a pleasure. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Doctor. Great having you on the show this morning. You're listening to Catherine Zox. Lauren Beller is my co-host this morning. And you are listening to Voice America, voiceamerica.com women. We will be back shortly, and uh, we'll be talking to Michael Kreider, author of The Guy's Guide to Surviving Toddlers and uh, etc. Toddlers Tantrums and Separation Anxiety. radio that informs, entertains, and enlightens you. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. Inner Health Through Homeopathy, hosted by Melissa Birch, CCH, with Dr. Tim Stryker. This show features a weekly discussion about homeopathy, a holistic approach to health care, which treats ailments by bringing the entire body into balance. Homeopathy encompasses and examines the makeup of the entire person instead of focusing solely on a disease or ailment. The healing process involves physical, mental, and emotional changes which come from a wellness within. Homeopathic remedies go far beyond an alleviation of symptoms. They can restore harmony to the body and open paths to a higher level of awareness. Each week, Melissa Birch, CCH, explores a different health issue and individual healing processes with Tim Stryker, MD. Tune in every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel for inner health through homeopathy. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! There you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt U.S. Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Winning with Wellness, where beauty meets health, with Dr. Vidushi Babber, is a place where women can share their health and beauty tips and learn that wellness means having a positive self-image. Tune in every Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. Finally, radio that has real depth. Voice America Radio Network. 
You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. Welcome back to the Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmerica.com, Voice America Women with Lauren Beller and Catherine Zox. Lauren is my co-host and my business coach. And joining us in the second half hour of the show is Michael Kreider. He is author of The Guy's Guide to Surviving Toddlers, Tantrums, and Separation Anxiety. And in parentheses in his book, he's got yours, not your kids. So Michael is... Um, as I understand it, was a stay-at-home dad. Now his son is seven years old, so he's in school, I guess probably second grade, so it gives him a little more free time. But uh, this is called The Guy's Guide to Surviving. Um, so well, we want to know, uh, what is the guy? Why write the book? Why do guys need a guide to surviving uh, toddlers and tantrums and separation anxiety? Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Michael. Thank you very much, Catherine. How are you? I am fine. I survived. Uh, uh Three boys. I don't know if you're listening to the first half of the show, but uh, three toddlers, tantrums, and uh, did have separation anxiety, as you talk about in the book when they finally went to school. But um, why as a dad, and you were a stay-at-home dad, why did you decide, well, I need to, you know, what what was the uh, impetus for writing this book? Uh, I needed the money. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Welcome like a true man. Now, I don't think, I'm I'm not sure that a woman would say the same thing. But anyway, okay, so you needed the money. No, in, in all honesty, it was uh, in, in, the fact that I was a stay-at-home dad, and uh, that's really what started me getting right in this book, because there are so many more dads that are taking a more proactive role in, in, in parenting, and so, you know, you've gone from thousands of fathers being stay-at-home dads back in the 60s and 70s to today, three to four million in the U.S. alone. So I think that, you know, that since we're becoming a more predominant uh, figure in, in, the, in the household, we need a book like this. Okay. Well, okay, let's talk about, like, the specifics of what's in the book. I think you're right. My experience, though, Michael, is that even when a guy is a stay-at-home dad, he may be at home, but he's always, or many times he's also doing something else, and he's, you know, he's there with, the baby or with the toddler but like you're a writer for instance so you're at home but you're still you're writing you do have a job well, that's true i couldn't just sit still the entire time and watch him watch elmo a hundred times a day uh <laughs> but you know i mean there's there's a definite uh difference there because you know a lot of a lot of the women my mother included just uh stay-at-home mothers who uh that was that was their job and for uh for me just in, in the life that we live today, we had to have two incomes, and so the fact that I was a writer uh, and a stay-at-home dad, it freed me up to, uh, as being a stay-at-home dad, it freed me up to be able to uh, to do my job. And do Michael, when you were at home, or do you do the grocery shopping, clean the house, or get or hire the cleaning lady to clean the house, or whatever you do? Uh, you know, besides just taking care of your son, were you responsible for all the other duties that stay-at-home moms are? Absolutely. I'm yeah. a jack-of-all-trades in my house. <laughs> my my wife doesn't even know what a kitchen is. She just knows it's the it's, it's the room where we keep the beer. That's what she knows. <laughs> oh, I love her. Where 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 does she work? What does she do? She uh, she works for a university here in Nashville, Tennessee. Okay. So, actually, you two have the best of both. She works at the university, and you're a writer and stayed home with your son. Uh, so, you were changing the diapers and feeding the baby and doing all that kind of stuff, right? Absolutely. So from the moment he was born up until he went to kindergarten, I was a stay-at-home dad, and I don't regret any of it. 
No, you never do. My mother said you'll never regret staying at home, and I didn't. But now, did you get up in the middle of the night with the baby? That's the other thing. That's the beginning. I mean, because most of the time, men somehow don't seem to either hear the baby uh, for whatever reason. They're hearing, and they do have, uh, I guess there are men and women hear things differently. But anyway, were you the one who got up with the baby in the middle of the night? Uh, not during the breastfeeding so much. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was kind of useless in that phase, but uh, after he was weaned off of that, then yeah, I was I was the one who got up since I was going to be able to stay at home the rest of the day and nap when he napped, and she had to go actually go out into the world and, and make money. What was the most difficult part of staying at home with your son? And your son's name is uh, Ryan? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. He, uh, I, I think the most difficult part was just dealing with it's the weirdest relationship I've ever been in in my life. If, if it was a marriage, I probably would have left it because you know <laughs> I go through this love hate thing where I just you know I love I love him so much, but no one in the world makes me as mad as he does. And you know it's it's just all part of part of being a parent and being around that person so much. And you know I would get to these get to the point where I'd be like, okay, I have to get out of here, and I would leave him alone with his mommy, and I would go out. And instead of going out and doing anything for myself, I would usually go buy him a toy or something. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a very strange relationship, but it's 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 really it's an incredible feeling. It is. It's that symbiotic kind of relationship. You are just so attached, and you you can't wait to get out the door. And when you do, you can't wait to get back. It's you'd only have to be out for a little a while, you know, to get out there and sort of to take a breath, and then you just can't wait to get back to him and or her. Um, yeah, it is that that it is that love hate kind of relationship, but um, it's very rewarding, and, and of course that's what I hear you saying. Okay, well, you know when you write a book saying guys guide, I'm trying to get like what the nuances is. What would be the difference between a guide's guide and a woman's guide to staying home with the baby or toddler? Well, I, I think a lot of the books that uh, that have been written in the past like this have been more clinical, whereas mine is just a very, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a Dr. Phil. I'm nobody who's going to be telling you what to do. It's just simply I'm telling you about my experiences and telling you, you know, my missteps along the way and, 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 and in a way that guys can really understand, you know, plain talk. I'm, I'm, not, I'm nothing fancy. You're not going to see any uh, big words in this book. It's just something for a, for your regular Joe out there who wants to read a book about being a parent. Yeah, Michael, what would you say some of your biggest mistakes were? Let's help these guys out there who are at home now, who are listening. They got their aprons on, they're feeding their kids, and they're thinking, "Okay, tell me something. Where 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 am I going wrong, or what should I do to prevent any you know to prevent some of these things that that you did that your mistakes." The biggest mistake that I think I've made, and I think everybody does this, or a lot of people do this, where. Uh, we get going so fast in life, and we want things to progress quickly. And it's, and and I just needed to, if you will, stop and smell the diapers because <laughs> you are a comedian. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was the first time that joke has worked on this whole radio tour. <laughs> anyway, um, well, the timing is everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, but, but really, I mean, the, from the moment I found out she was pregnant, I wanted to see the baby. And then after that, I wanted him to get older so I could hang out with him. And I wanted him to get older and to start walking, to start talking, to become into more independent. Whereas I should have just kind of slowed down and taken it as it was because as it is now, I kind of miss those days. And I think that I was kind of, in a way, wishing his life away when I should have just stopped and, and enjoyed the moment. Yeah, I so much identify with that, and I think that my own mother helped me through that. I would look at my friends whose kids were already in school or in high school, and they were traveling or they were back to their jobs, and I had the same feeling. Oh, if he, you know, if I can just get them to the next stage instead of it, stay in the moment, as they say in the theater, just stay in the moment, enjoy it, because it will 
go away. You know, it doesn't last long. I think that's such good advice. And really, you know, don't be thinking about them getting to the next stage. Oh, when they just, as you say, if they're just, you know, once they can talk and once they can walk. And, you know, don't wish it away. Don't wish those times away. Enjoy them. Exactly. Yeah. And that's something that I had to learn. But, uh, you know, that's just all part of the process. It is. Well, now, the other thing is you talk about separation anxiety. And uh, not your son's separation anxiety when he got ready to go to school or kindergarten, but your own. And... um and that's pretty devastating to 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 a stay-at-home parent, I think, uh, you know, when that first one, or in your case, the first and the last one, ends up going to school. It's really tough. And uh, talk to us a little bit about your separation anxiety from Ryan. Well, yeah, I mean, that's absolutely true. Being a stay-at-home dad, uh, I maybe experienced some different uh, situations than, others, than other dads did because, when my son went off to kindergarten, you know, I was having the empty nest syndrome, <laughs> whereas, you know, it's mostly what women would go through. But we took him to kindergarten on his first day, and he was fine. He was he was excited, and, and he was a little nervous, but he was ready to do this and take his next step, whereas his mother and I, when we left, were just blubbering like idiots. So <laughs> it's, 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 it's very strange. Do you think being a stay-at-home dad and uh, having that much close, you know, that, that much time with your son before he went to school... Um, do you think that that you know his leaving that his your identity was tied up with your fathering? You know how women's identity is very much tied up with their mothering. They and uh, men usually that's not the case. But since you were so close to him and you were so part of his life every day, that it did have to do with your identity of who you were. That you were losing a part of that. And now, like now, what do I do? Now, how important I am I? And, and you know, where do I go from here? Sure, that's that's definitely a part of it. I mean, I went from being an independent person to being a father who spends every waking moment with this little person, and then when he's out the door, what do I have to do? So, you know, you know, a therapist would tell you that's why I'm writing these books. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, were you, like, you know, when you see kids on the playground or they get hurt, they always seem to, no matter what, they run to mommy. Now, did Ryan run to you, and what? How did that? Like, say, if he hurt himself, or he felt bad, or he's crying, or somebody hurt his feelings. Did he run to you as opposed to his mother? And then, how did that make? Well, let's start with that. <laughs> no, he actually he he always runs to her. She's still the the comforting one. She uh, she's still the mommy and still the one that kisses all the boo boos away. That's interesting. Even though he spent all that time with you, because my expectation would be that maybe he would you know, turn to you, get used to being with you all day, and that that might, you know, affect um, or cause some difficulties in your relationship because I think women tend to, you know, as you say, you know, usually kids run to their mommy, but I guess he did in this case. Anyway, we have uh, we have to take a short break. Uh, we are talking to Michael Kreider. He's author of Guy's Guide to Surviving Toddlers, Tantrums, and Separation Anxiety. We didn't talk about tantrums. We'll have to get into that uh, after the break. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on Voice America, voiceamerica.com, women. Are you willing to be taught? 
and invest a few minutes each week to learn principles that will ensure your success and fulfillment? Tune in every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time to It's Easier Done Than Said on the Voice America Women's Channel. When I have an asthma attack, I feel scared. It's like tiny nails in the air poke my lungs. I start to cough. Did you know your child's asthma attacks can be triggered by things like shower curtains, a blanket, even a teddy bear? I feel like I'm choking. And there are many other things in your home and your child's classroom you may not know about. For the latest information, call 1-866-NO-ATTACKS. Sometimes my parents have to take me to the hospital. Help prevent your child's asthma attacks and avoid the emergency room. Call toll-free 1-866-NO-ATTACKS. That's 1-866-662-8822. Or visit www.noattacks.org. I don't want to feel like a fish with no water. Brought to you by the EPA and the Ad Council. Winning with Wellness, where beauty meets health, with Dr. Vidushi Babber, is a place where women can share their health and beauty tips and learn that wellness means having a positive self-image. Tune in every Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. We talk with you, not at you. We're Voice America, Women's Radio Network, the new face of talk radio. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. We're talking to Michael Kreider. He's author of The Guy's Guide to Surviving Toddlers, Tantrums, and Separation Anxiety. Yours, not your kids. And, Michael, you know, before we took the break, I, oh, I guess I was asking you the question about, uh, you know, uh, actually it has to do with bonding. You know, your son, you were home with him for the first five years, and your wife was out working, and you're the stay-at-home dad, and how that affected uh, how... I guess your relationship with your son as opposed to his relationship with his mother, was there a, is there a closer bond between the two of you uh, than, say, between Ryan and his mom? Well, I think that, uh, I don't think so. I think it's pretty even-handed because, you know, by the time she got home from work, he missed her so much that he just wanted to hang out with her the entire evening. So I think, you know, she had some good quality time with him, and, and I obviously did. I spent a lot of good time with him, but... I think it was really important to uh, have such to have a strong male presence in the house. And I see it too often these days where there isn't the, and you know, not to discount what the mother's doing by any means, but just that uh, you know, when I'm raising a boy, just knowing that he has to have somebody to look up to, and I am that person, so I had that responsibility. Yeah, so you're a good role. Hopefully, you're a good role model. We're assuming that you were a good role model, and you sound yeah, you sound like you were. There's no problem. What about the other women? I'm always curious about that. What about the other ladies? Because uh, my brother and he he wasn't he was more of the stay-at-home dad, and he had two daughters, and he was the one who took the girls to the pediatrician, and he would tell me, you know, I would be in the pediatrician's office sitting there. I was the only guy. 
and the other everybody was asking me, well, you know, where's mom? And are you are are you the one who's going to you know come in with the baby? Yes. And he always felt or very often felt really uncomfortable because other women didn't accept him as the stay at home dad. Well, that's that's a good point. Yeah, I went through that too, definitely. I mean, people would always say, if I took him to the doctor, they would say, oh, it's Dad's day off from work, huh? You're taking care of your son today? Like, well, no, this is what I do. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I mean, if I went out to, uh, if Ryan was playing at a playground somewhere and there were a group of mothers, if I tried to talk to him, suddenly, oh, this creep's trying to hit on us. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I don't think I was ever accepted into that little circle. Yeah, so were you accepted into the playgroups? That's another example. And what happened if Ryan wasn't accepted at the playgroups? I mean, did they call you up and say, you know, we're having a little play party and all that kind of stuff that the kids go to? Uh, did they finally accept you, or were you always somewhat of a sort of on the side and an outcast? Well, here in where I am in Nashville, they have a stay-at-home dads group where it was just a big group of guys who stayed at home and they were going to get together and let the kids play and the men could talk manly stuff. So I thought, oh, this is going to be great. You know, we could talk about sports or whatever. And I get there and none of the kids are playing with each other. They're all playing with the parents or hanging on the parents. And the dads are all talking about, oh, did you see what John was wearing yesterday? Oh, my God. I mean, it was like it was like beauty salon instead of what I thought it was going to be. So it's, you know, it's, it's very strange. I love it. So, in other words, kind of like the role dictated what they said to each other or how they interacted. They weren't talking about sports and business and how much they invested in the stock market and that kind of stuff. They were focused on the kids. Yeah, it was kind of like the uh, all-male traveling review of fried green tomatoes or something. <laughs> <laughs> so you left, uh, but Michael, so you left that group, went to another one, or decided just to stay at home, the two of you, and not get involved in any of these play groups. Well, we just stayed at home, and when he got old enough to have friends, I let him play with them, and I just stayed in the house. <laughs> well, because the next question is, did you have, you know, and this could set up, I'm thinking that, you know, let's say you invite another, some of the women or one or two women over with their kids, and here you got, you know, the father and the two mothers and the kid. I mean, that may be a setup for something else, too. Did that ever happen? Oh, no, no. My uh, my wife and I, we understand. She has more guy friends and she has girlfriends and I have more female friends and I have male friends so that anything like that's not even an issue it was just a, a matter of us getting together and having the kids play yeah well you're an interesting couple uh, you know, I mean very I mean and I'm sure that uh, well now your son is he's seven yes yeah he's already in school but I mean I'm sure there are and I don't know if you've observed this but are there a lot more and, and there must be because you wrote the guy for, for the guys there must be a lot more men let's say in your environment where you are uh, who are staying home with the kids, who 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 are, you know, I don't know if it's 50-50. I, I would probably venture to say it probably isn't, but there are more men who find that or see it as an option. Right. That's what I was saying before. That they, uh, you know, We've gone from only a few thousand in the 60s when we first started seeing stay-at-home dads crop up to now, you know, in the millions, three, four million. So it's definitely a, it's, it, it's definitely a, a new phase where we're taking a more proactive role, and I couldn't be happier about that. You should start a group. Of, uh, <laughs> and I don't mean with the kids necessarily, just a father's support group, but because I'm a big, you know, I'm a social worker, and I think support groups are great, and they work really well for women, but I think for the guys who are staying home, and you've had the experience, and there's a whole, you know, other generation, say, 10 years younger than you are, I mean, you'd have a lot, besides your book, and not besides your book, and, and I do want to say, uh, listeners can go to your website, michaelrkreider.com, for more information about Michael and the book. Um, you'd be a great 
role model for some of these fathers if you started a support group? Well, I'm not against it, that's for sure. I mean, I don't know what uh, what support I could offer up other than maybe we could get around and rent a movie. Perhaps Dorian Blues. How about that? We Dorian that. Blues. You've read your, you know where I... <laughs> I you know that I was in Dorian Blues. I do. That's why I said that. I know. And so was my son, by the way. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. He was one of the high school kids in in the film. He actually had a speaking part, and I didn't. But uh, uh, so, <laughs> have you rented Dorian Blues? Uh, I did. You're not going to remember this, but I spoke with you, I think, last year about my last book. And you know, I do remember when you said Dorian Blues. That's an yeah. Idea. Yeah. <laughs> so as soon as I talked to you, I went out and I rented it. What do you think? Uh, it, it was worth the rental. Yeah. It's very timely. <laughs> we have to tell everybody what it is. It's actually become somewhat of, now you've got me. Now we'll talk about my <laughs> film. We've talked about your book enough. Okay, we're done. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about me. Uh, Dorian Blues was uh, actually a humorous. It's also humorous, and it's also timely. It's a, and it's and I say cult, not cult, but uh, it, it it does pretty well in the um, you know like best uh, what is it blockbusters, and you can rent it DVD. Um, well, a lot but, of movies like that find their way more in video than they do in the theater. And exactly. Nothing wrong with it. Yeah, and we're sort of talking around the book. I have to tell. I mean, the uh, film. It's a. Uh, it was filmed here in Albany, New York, in upstate New York, and it's a book about a dad and his two sons, a gay son and a straight son, and his relationship with both of them and their relationship with each other. And it's kind of a coming of age story about the gay son, and uh, it's a good story. And it's written with humor and and uh, and fun. And and uh, anyway, go out and get my <laughs> video. Anyway, you when. You can. Uh, when are you going to show it to your son? Uh, when he gets old enough to start asking those questions. Yeah, I think he's a little too young at this point. Yeah, he's a little too young for that. That's yeah. That's definitely yes. No, I do remember Michael. I remember our interview, and I remember talking to you about your other book. Okay, now you. What's coming up next? After you know, you've now you're going to take it through the next stage of Ryan's sort of development. Now, how to deal with a teenage son, and you know, you can keep on going. I have no idea. I think by that time he will uh, be well embarrassed by the things that I've written about him so far. So <laughs> I don't know if I'll take it to that point. But uh, we have a couple of uh, TV ventures that we're working on, and so we're, uh, yeah, things are just progressing along the way. So we'll just have to see how it goes. That's terrific. And uh, you know, I think one of the good things, one of the, you know, once you ha- if you only have one, and I just want to, you know, we only have a couple minutes left. I mean, I think it's somewhat easier. At least that's my experience. If you have three, like I had three, I was at home a lot longer. I mean, if you are have one, your you know first five years you stay at home, enjoy it as you say because it's only five years, and then you go on to next, and then you really are free to pursue your own whether you're a male or you know man or woman staying home and pursue your career. I had a little bit longer period of time to be at home, which was uh, ten years with the three of them. So by the time the last one went to to uh, kindergarten, I was re- I ran out the door. I was <laughs> I, literally, <laughs> but anyway, it's one. We only have a minute left, so but get Michael's book. Great book. You continue to write all these really wonderful good books. This is a great the guy's guide to surviving toddlers tantrums and separation anxiety. Yours, not your kids. Uh, it's a very practical guide, but at the same time, you know, it's written with a lot of humor and a lot of fun. And uh, really enjoyed talking to you today. Thank you very much, Catherine. Thank you so much, Michael. Michael R. Kreider, and it's michaelrkreider.com. I'm Catherine Sox with Lauren Beller, and you've been listening to The Catherine Sox Show. I'm your social worker with a microphone, Voice America Women, Voice America Women. 
www.thepowerofpositivity.com. Have a great day, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you.